I'm going to tell you about the time my life almost went down the drain. First of all, it's good to be back. I have uh, I had to take some time off because I was sick. And it wasn't COVID. Took two tests. was not COVID. Um, but I got a cold. And honestly, the, I've had COVID, and the cold that I got was worse than COVID. It was terrible. So ridiculous coughing, congestion, uh, just... And lost my voice, and I couldn't do a podcast for about a week, so I'm a little behind. So if you haven't heard from me in a while, that's why. I do want to talk about some other stuff. I want to just briefly touch on this Twitter situation, but I do want to tell the story about the time my life almost went down the drain. Okay, so here's the story. I was in the Coast Guard, and I was a junior officer on the Coast Guard Cutter Active, which was based out of Port Angeles, Washington. And we, one of the things we had to do was we had to head down to the Columbia River and pick up a tow. And the tow was an old Coast Guard cutter called the Iris, which was a buoy tender. And it was decommissioned. And it was, we had to tow it down to San Francisco where it was going to be turned into razor blades or something like that. I don't know what they're going to do with it. So, you know, towing evolutions are kind of complex and dangerous. Um, but so we did some towing briefings and we had a plan and we got this all under control. So we head into the Columbia River that morning and it's it was calm, very calm. It, it used to say FAC, flat ass calm. So we're going down the river and we go to the pier where the iris is. It's very foggy and uh, we pass the line across. We hook up, hook up the tow line and we start towing it out the Columbia River. So I am the first lieutenant, which means I'm in charge of the deck department. And really, like about a third of the ship reports to me. And it's all the young guys that paint the ship and chip paint and stuff like that. So we're all on the fantail, the back of the ship. And and the backstory is, I forgot to mention this, the backstory is there's a towing bit on the fantail. And what a towing bit is, this is where you hook up a tow line. It's this big metal thing. It looks kind of like a mechanical ball. And we had recently completely overhauled it. We chipped it and painted it. And we got it looking pretty. And then as soon as we were done, we found out we had to do this tow. And so I was talking with the petty officers and I'm like, well, this kind of sucks because we just finished cleaning this thing up. And I, here's an idea. Why don't we take some leather and put it on the tow bit so it doesn't mess up the paint job? It's kind of silly. So it was chafing gear. So we had this leather chafing gear and we put it on the tow bit and we had it on the, we, we, we hooked it up and we're towing the iris out of the Columbia River and we're like letting out the line very slowly and we're still in the river. We're not in the ocean yet and we're letting it out to about a thousand feet and what I noticed was the chafing gear was starting to slip out of the tow bit. And I said, oh, that's that's funny. That's not a big deal. But I, apparently my knowledge of physics wasn't very good because I didn't think about the coefficient of friction and the fact that when the chafing gear finally worked its way out of the tow bit, it would just be the rope on metal. And that's what happened. And that rope fired out the back of the ship. I mean, it just went flying out the back of the ship. And we had the towing hawser, the rope, faked out. And People are jumping out of the way because if you get a foot stuck in this thing, it's going to pull you through the towing bit and just tear you to pieces. So 
the line is going out of the ship like 100 miles an hour. And my first thought was I look and we did not tie down the end of the towing hawser to anything. It was just sitting there. So I saw it right about the same time this petty officer saw it. He grabs it, throws it around one of the mooring bits at the last second. And all the and the thing just snaps tight. And there's just all this tension, and the line is shaking. And we put it on just at the last minute. Now, if he had not done that, we would have lost the tow, and the iris would have been floating around the Columbia River and might have gone aground and sunk. Okay, so just to put that in perspective, if I was responsible as the first lieutenant for the sinking of this old Coast Guard cutter. That would have been the end of my career. I would have got court-martialed. I I would have, I would have gotten like a, you know some kind of bad conduct discharge. I would have been done for life. I would have been done. And this petty officer, you know, he and I did not get along, and he saved my ass. I mean, he totally saved my bacon. So, yeah, that would have been the end of my career, and and I wouldn't have worked on Wall Street. I wouldn't have worked anywhere. You know, my life could have changed in a second. And it was pure luck that it didn't. So one of the things I like to think about is how much luck plays a role in your life, right? Like I am incredibly lucky and I've talked in the past about good luck and being positively exposed to luck. But what about bad luck? Do you ever have bad luck? Like coming down with cancer, getting into a car accident, like none of these things has ever happened to me. Really, really like the only, the only, the big bad luck thing that happened to me was I released my first book, which was about Lehman Brothers on the day that Occupy Wall Street started. And it was the worst possible environment to release a financial book. Um, So that was unlucky. But if people really appreciated how much volatility they have in their lives, they would be freaking out. Now, in some cases, people try to suppress the volatility, okay? Like, for example, parents are worried about their kids being molested by Chester the molester, right? So they don't let them walk to school. School is 500 yards away, and they won't let them walk to school because Chester the molester is hiding in the bushes. So what do they do? They get they put the kid in the car, and they drive around the corner and get in line to drop off the kids at school. By the way, that is a thousand times more dangerous. <laughs> it's so much more dangerous. Seriously, like the likelihood that you will get into a car accident and die driving 500 yards to school is infinitely higher than your kid getting picked up by Chester the molester. I, I, you know, so people don't do the math on this stuff. They try to suppress the volatility. I can tell you. How many kids are kidnapped by strangers every year? Strangers, not family members, strangers. 115 in the entire country. That's one every three days in the entire country, which is less likely than getting struck by lightning. Okay. So to some people, some risks seem like big risks and some people seem like some risks seem like small risks, but most of the time people get them backwards. And that's where I come in in the markets because what I'm really focused on is accurately appraising risks. For example, what is the risk that a stock is going to go to zero? 
What is the risk that interest rates are going to 4%? What is the risk that gold goes back to 1000 You see, this is the stuff I think about all the time. And I am not the best stock picker in the world. I don't even think I'm average. I think I'm below average. But I am exceptionally good at risk management. I am good at not blowing myself up. And if you were an ETF trader in the 2000s, you would be pretty good at risk management because that was insane. Okay. Let me tell you another story. I went 10 years without getting a speeding ticket from like 2012 to 2022. Okay. 10 years. I have gotten three in the last four months. Okay. I now have six points on my license. If I get to 10, my license gets suspended. And this last ticket I got, I mean, it was innocent enough. I was driving 70 and a 45, but I wasn't trying to speed. I was just on the phone and kind of into the conversation. I had a lead foot and he pulled me over from going 70 and a 45, which would have been a six point ticket, which would have meant that my license got suspended, which would be catastrophic. But the question is, why did I not get any tickets for 10 years and then three in four months? Has my driving changed? Right? Think about it. Has my driving changed? Probably not. Most people don't get more aggressive when they get older. My driving hasn't changed. I'm the same guy as I was 10 years ago. You know, are there more cops out? That Actually, that is a possible answer. There's, you know, there are a lot of cops out these days. But is it just luck? Is it bad luck? Maybe. And the funny thing is, I didn't get any of these tickets in the Corvette. I got all three of them in the Toyota Highlander. Which is weird because that car has no acceleration at all. Well, now I got to behave myself. Okay. Because I can't lose my license. I cannot get any more tickets for at least a year. The cop was like, he's like, oh man, he says, this would have been a $400 ticket. And I'm like, dude, I do not care about the money. <laughs> like the money, the money is not the issue here at all. <laughs> I will pay, I will, I will pay a $4,000 ticket. I just, I can't lose my license, you know. And we are all one wrong turn, one bad move away from some horrible event where our lives change forever. And the good thing about market risk, it's actually pretty slow moving. Like nothing in the markets happens fast. You know, usually pretty have warning. Usually have time to get out. But if you have time to get out, don't just sit there, do something. A lot of people get paralyzed when they are faced with that kind of risk. Just sell. The first rule of panicking is that you panic before everyone else does. And I can tell you right now, if this war in Ukraine didn't take the stock market down, I don't know what will. You know, people think that rising interest rates will. I don't know. It is going to take a true black swan to make stocks go down more than 30%. So anyway, I said I want to talk about Twitter, and I'm just kind of riffing here. So um, Elon Musk bought 9% of Twitter in the open market. And uh, then he announced his holdings and the stock gapped up. And now he announced that he wants to buy the rest of the company. And interestingly enough, the stock is not up because the Twitter board is a bunch of lunatics. (laughs) 
And uh, let me just tell you, there's going to be some of the biggest lawsuits of all time that come out of this. You know, if you're on the board, you have a fiduciary duty to act in the best interest of shareholders. And if somebody comes along with an offer that is higher than the current stock price to buy your company, you have to take that seriously. And you have to have pretty good reasons if you're not going to accept that offer. What Twitter is contemplating doing is actually instituting a poison pill. And a poison pill basically dilutes your existing share count, which makes it impossible to be acquired. It also... It, it, it also dilutes your share count. So the per share earnings go down and all that stuff and the stock goes down. And they are willing to do this to prevent Elon Musk from buying the company. Why? Because they want the ability to censor. They want the ability to censor people. They want the ability to influence elections. There's no doubt about it. I just looked at the board. I actually just pulled it up. Um, pulled up some of these people. There's a guy from Salesforce. Yep. Uh, public-private partnership at MasterCard. Yep, there's Jack Dorsey. There's Parag. There's a VC from Silver Lake. Uh, I don't know who she is. Uh, a professor at Stanford. The former CFO of Google. Uh, some other startup and uh, Alliance Bernstein. Like this, these people. These people are going to get sued for millions of dollars if they screw this up. And it kind of makes you wonder, like, kind of makes you wonder about Twitter. Because, like, Twitter, you know, relative to Facebook and Google and all the other tech companies, it has a puny market cap. It's very small. And Twitter, first of all, it doesn't make any money. It makes a tiny, it makes a small amount of money. But they've never been able to monetize that traffic. They have this platform that is the most culturally and intellectually important tech platform in the world. This is the marketplace of ideas. This is where all discussion happens. And the stock is essentially worthless. And it's because of management, because they've screwed this up the whole time. So now Elon Musk comes around along and he says, hey, we're going we're gonna to preserve free speech. We're not going to moderate content. And we're going to make everybody a bunch of money. This is going to be that we're going to double or triple the value of this company. And they tell them to pound sand. Like it's insane. It's absolutely insane. So I am, I, I, I you know, as of a couple of days ago, I was optimistic and I'm like, no, they're really going to do this. They're going to do a poison pill. And the crazy thing is, usually you do a poison pill before somebody makes an offer. Like when, there, when there's nothing going on, you don't do a poison pill after somebody makes an offer. They are going to get sued to infinity and beyond. They are going to get sued so hard and they deserve it. Anyway, that does it for me today. I'm Jared Dillian. This is the Be Smart Podcast. See you next time.